Sunday morning. This is good. End of May. Isn't it amazing? And happy birthdays down at the end of the table there. <laughs> You're yeah. That's hilarious. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and my brothers, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How many years apart? Five. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Bill and, and his sister have the same birthday, four years apart. How it's often does that weird. happen? Isn't that yeah. weird? That's neat. Yeah. Very. Well, okay. Um, of course, we're talking about Jacob and Esau, and um, we're about to start talking about Jacob going home to see Esau. And um, this, the book, I, I shared this with you earlier, the book of mysteries. It's really, it's a fun book full of just really amazing little mysteries out of scripture and uh, out of Jewish tradition that kind of blow your minds. And um, you can't just read it cover to cover. Um, it's a mystery on each page, but it's just um, just chock full of little ahas that, that kind of blow you away. So I was reading this week, and I came to this one, the Edomayan mystery. Um, Edomaya is what the Romans used to call Edom. And Edom um, is the nation of people that came from Esau, okay? So you get that connection. And these are all with a teacher speaking to a student. They're all conversational. Um, so the student's talking here. We were looking at an old volume in the chamber of books, specifically at an image, a lithograph, a lithograph of the Magi standing before King Herod. Most people have heard of King Herod, said the teacher, and how he slaughtered the children of Bethlehem in an attempt to kill Messiah. But there's more to the story. A mystery that began ages before. At that, he turned his gaze away from the image in the book and paused. When Isaac blessed his son Jacob, he told him that he would have dominion over his brothers. And when he and men would bow down before him. But when Isaac blessed Esau, he told him that he would live by the sword and under the dominion of his brother Jacob. Esau was so filled with rage that he plotted Jacob's death. But what happened to Jacob? Who were his descendants? And the student answers, the Jewish people, Israel. But what about Esau? <coughs> Esau also had descendants, the teacher responded. They're called Edomites and became the nation of Edom. Isaac's prophecy would come true. Esau's children, the Edomites, would live under the dominion of Israel under the children of Jacob. But in the days of the Roman Empire, they would be called Idumeans. But it was then that something strange happened. An Idumean became the king of Israel. A child of Esau ruled over the children of Jacob. And who was the child of Esau? Herod, the teacher said. King Herod was a child of Esau. It was the ancient battle, Esau warring over the birthright and the blessing and seeking to have dominion over Jacob. But then another extraordinary thing happened. Messiah was born. Messiah was a child of Jacob with the true birthright and the true blessing of dominion and lordship. So we have two kings, the true and the false. Esau and Jacob Herod and Messiah. 
And just as Esau plotted to kill Jacob, so Herod, the son of Esau, plotted to kill Messiah, the son of Jacob. Behind it all was the ancient mystery. Well, what does the Edomian mystery tell you? It's crucial that we receive the blessing. Without it, we will spend our whole lives reacting to and trying to compensate for its absence. Whatever you didn't receive in this world no longer matters. Receive now from your heavenly Father your blessing and your birthright. For if Messiah is your king, you are of the kingdom of Jacob, the kingdom of those who have received the blessing, the kingdom of the blessed. So that's cool, isn't it? That Herod was a descendant of Esau and Jesus a descendant of Jacob. The parallels just keep going on and on. I'm going to, eventually we'll get to a list, but um, <clears throat> I just thought that was really cool. So I thought I would share that with you. So Herod was king of where when? King Herod, he was over, was uh, over, uh, well, it wasn't Israel at the time. It, it would have been Palestine. Palestine. Mm -hmm. He would have ruled in what the Romans call Palestine. And he was a Roman. No. Yeah, he, he was Roman, but he was of uh, Edomian descent or Esau, descent of Esau. Isn't that neat? But the story goes on and on and on and on. And, you know, so people keep saying, well, things are just, um, you know, they're just happening in the Middle East in the last couple hundred years. And I'm going, no, 4,000 years of history tell you different. So, um, you know, you just have to. It has been. It really has. And actually 5,000 because it goes all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael. So. You know, that trouble is not going to end until Jesus is sitting on the throne, and that will dry it up. But, um, yeah, it's going to get really ugly before then. So, yeah, I mean, you know, things are in line anytime. It's a good time for Jesus to come now, so we're just ready to go. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> and then he'll finish off that whole argument right there. Okay, well, we left off. <clears throat> Jacob had escaped from Laban, more or less. And um, they had gotten uh, a good ways down the road when um, three days after they left, somebody told Laban that they were gone, and Laban grabbed a bunch of his men and took out after them, hot in pursuit. Now, um, to give you a geographical idea of where they were, uh, Gilead is actually a large area. It's not just a mountain. It's not just a spot, but it's a series of mountains and plains and valleys, and it's um, due south of Haran, which would be northeast of the um, River Jordan, um, northeast of the Sea of Galilee, up in that area. That would be Gilead. And uh, where they say Mount Gilead here, there it's there were it was a series of mountain range, you know, just a series of mountains and valleys. Nobody understands that any better than we do right around here. If you say Appalachia, you know, the mountains, you it could be anywhere, you know, but it's just a whole series of them, and that's what Gilead is like. 
So um, when they talk about that, it's not a specific place, but a pretty large area. And um, so he's gotten as far as Gilead, and you have to realize now he's traveling with a lot of cattle, all kinds of animals, um, young children, um, a pretty big crew of uh, maids and, you know, handmaidens and servants and things. So they don't travel very fast. And um, so um, uh, Laban was able to catch up with them. And Laban is hot. I mean, he's really angry. However, he has this encounter when God actually shows up in a dream and warns him about how to treat Jacob. Well, Jacob, you have to understand now, has the seed of one more son in him. He hasn't had Benjamin yet. And those 12 sons become uh, Israel. And so Jacob's life has to be preserved if for no other reason than that because he, God's promise goes all the way back to Abraham. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And because of Abraham's covenant with God, because of Isaac's great faith in God and his faithfulness to that covenant, Jacob is a partner in those blessings um, in the birth of Israel. That's, that's his role. But he doesn't have the same relationship with God that Abraham and Isaac had. Um, he's still a, more a man of a world of the world than he is um, of God, even though he's had these great experiences. You know, uh, going up to Haran, there he was all alone with a rock for a pillar, and all of a sudden God opens the heavens and shows him angels going up and down, and God promises to defend and protect his life, and and uh, take care of him and he vows a vow right there he said you know because you have promised to take care of me because you are blessing me because um the whole time i'm gone and until i get back home to my dad you know to where he lives beersheba um you're you are my god surely you're my god because you're going to take care of me and he vows that vow that he's going back home eventually he'll be home so um, God had to remind him of that vow after 20 years and say, I told you to go home, go home. And so on this trip home, the first person he has to deal with is Laban. So let's just pick up in Genesis um, 31. Um, start with verse 21. And so he fled, this is Jacob, with all that he had. And he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled, and he took his brothers with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian. Now they keep calling Laban the Syrian. Of course, he, he was born in Ur. Um, but... The reason, at least the Hebrew scholars say, the reason they keep calling him the Syrian is because he had so thoroughly become a Syrian. He had lost contact with the God of his fathers, Nahor, his dad. He lost, I mean, uh, his brother and, I um, can't remember his dad's name. But anyway, he lost that God, the God that Abraham worshipped. And he was uh, an idol worshiper. He was a diviner and an astrologer. 
um, um, an astrologer and um, because that's what the people did. They dealt in the dark arts. And um, you remember we said that's exactly why um, Rachel stole her dad's gods so he couldn't divine where they were going. And um, so he had completely lost all touch with his origins and with the god of his fathers. And so um, that's why they call him the Syrian. Um, but it also confirms that he lived in Haran, which was in Syria. Okay, so that's why they keep referring to him as that. In verse 20 and then again in 24. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Take heed that you speak not to Jacob either good or bad. Uh, now that doesn't mean you can't say anything to him at all. But don't speak to him um, with intent to kill him or with intent for your own good. In other words, keep your hands off of my servant Jacob. Do not go after him to do the things that you have in your heart to do. Take your own goods back and do Jacob harm. Don't even think about it. That's basically what that means. Then Laban overtook Jacob. <clears throat> now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount. And Laban, with his brethren, pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've stolen away unaware to me and carried away my daughters as captives taken with a sword. Okay, now he's all upset about his daughters, but like his daughters said earlier in the same chapter, let's go because he's treated us like slaves. He sold us to you. We never got any dowry and anything that would have been ours, he's already wasted and squandered. So he treated them like servants in the first place. And so now he's all righteous about it and upset. Yeah. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and didn't tell me that I might have sent you away with mirth and with songs and with debray and with heart? Do you really think that he would have had a celebration and sent them away with love? I don't think so. Every time Jacob had talked about it, he said, no, stay, stay, stay. You haven't even suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters and you have now done foolishly in doing so. So now... Laban's really mad at him. Um, and then he says, It's in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spoke to me yesternight, saying, Take heed that you speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. So he said, I'd really like to run you through with a sword. But because your God spoke to me the other night, you're lucky to be alive. That's basically what he was saying. And now... Though you would needs be gone because you sore longed after your father's house, yet why have you stolen my God? So now he takes a different tack. He says, okay, so you're out to go to your dad's house. I understand that. But why did you steal all my gods? <clears throat> and Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, peradventure, you would take by force your daughters from me. With whomsoever you found your gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern you what is yours and with me, take it unto you. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. So he says, you find the gods, whoever has them, you just kill them. And then you take everything you find in this house and lay it out in front of everybody. You know, and we'll talk about what's yours and what's mine. He had no idea that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants' tents 
but he found them not. And then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat on them. It, to ride the camels, they, they made these literal chairs that would sit on the hump. So you'd sit up in the chair to ride. And then when they would get down, they would take the chairs and use them in the tents, you know, for furniture. So she just hid the idols under the camel's chair where the hump would be. And then she sat down on the chair. And Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before you, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. And now Jacob was wroth, and chode with Jacob. So now Jacob comes after Laban a little bit. And Jacob answered and said to, to Laban, What's my trespass? What's my sin that you have so hotly pursued after me? Whereas you have searched all my stuff, what have you found of all your household stuff? Set it here before your brethren and my brethren and your brethren that we may judge between us. This 20 years I've been with you. The ewes, the goats, the she-goats have not cast their young. And the rams of your flock have I not eaten. And that which was torn of beasts I brought not unto you. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand did you require, neither stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day of the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been 20 years in your house. I served you 14 years for your daughters and six years for your cattle. And you have changed my wages 10 times. <clears throat> Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely you would have sent me away now empty. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you yesternight. Now, Laban backs up again. Now he's going to go, okay, okay, okay. Let's smooth things over here. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And these cattle are my cattle. And all that you see is mine. What can I do this day to these daughters or unto the children which they have borne? So he's not saying that they personally belong to him, but what he's saying is, is your, your wives came from me, you know, and, and your children are descendants of mine, and the cattle that you have came from what I started with. So I'm the source of what you have, is what he's saying to him. Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, I and you, and let it be for a witness between me and you. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. Underline the word eat or make a mark there. This is a, this is a meal covenant. And we've talked about this before, but we're going to go back over it. This is a very powerful, serious covenant. Right up under blood covenants. Okay. Laban called it Jagar Sahadatha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, uh, uh, Jagar Sahadatha means gathering place. Galid means testimony. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and you this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watched between me and you. Mizpah means watchtower. 
and we are when we are absent from one another. Okay. This is not going to be a blood covenant. All right, not a blood covenant. This is a meal covenant, which is equally uh, important. Okay, uh, blood covenant, um, of course, is um, the final curse for a blood covenant is death. You know, I will die before I betray this covenant with you. But the meal covenant is equally important. Um, even today, even in our own culture, we don't understand it. We don't know the origins of it. But it's still there. It's like, um, do you ever watch the movies when the bad guy and the good guy confront each other and the bad guy pours two drinks and hands the good guy the drink and then the bad guy takes the drink and the good guy puts his glass down. I refuse to drink with you. Okay? That comes from this, this covenant. I won't drink with you and I won't share a meal with you. And you don't ever invite your enemies over to have dinner. You, you invite your close friends. You invite people that you want to get to know. People you want to reach out to. But you don't go out and eat with people that, that are your enemies. I mean, that's just not heard of. And um, so we understand that in our culture, but we just we don't get it. Do you know what I mean? We don't understand the origins of it. But, um, but those covenants are important. It's just like with the blood covenant... Um, you know, hands are joined with blood mingled. Handshake is the same thing. You are so insensitive somebody refuses to shake your hand. You know, because there's something in that covenant bond of handshaking. And um, if somebody refuses to shake your hand, there's an insult. You know, and not that we understand the source of it, but that's the source of it. Covenants and relationships with people. And... Um, so, um, they're going to do this meal together, all right? There's going to be a mention of an animal sacrifice, but that's not a blood covenant. The word sacrifice is a poor choice of words there. They just killed an animal and cooked it, and everybody sat down and ate together, okay? So, this is a meal covenant. And um, so... Um, let me just give you a couple of examples of meal covenants and how important they are. It's actually the reason that God went from uh, just calling Abraham a believer to calling him friend. A meal covenant is a friendship covenant, but it isn't friend in the sense that we use the word friend. We use the word friend like we use the word love. But um, in those days, they didn't. Go to Isaiah 41. God makes a point of it. Okay. Go to Isaiah 41. And he's talking to Israel, the descendants of Jacob. And he said, this is, this is why I look at you like I do. Um, anybody who is outside of a friendship covenant is looked on, you know, as a servant or whatever. Not, not a slave, but, you know. You use people for whatever purpose you want, business-wise or otherwise. Not in a disrespectful way, but just, you know, for what they are. So, um, <clears throat> um, God says, through Jacob, Israel, I call you a servant. You are the descendant of the seed of Abraham, who's my friend. And he makes a distinction here because it's very powerful. All right, look at verse 8. <clears throat> but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. 
the seed of Abraham, my friend. He says, you're my servant, but the, and you're the seed of Abraham, but Abraham is my friend. There's a difference in relationship there. Okay, um, go to um, James chapter 2. Start with verse 21. If you get to Revelations, you went too far. James is right after Hebrews. Girls eat potato chips, three glasses of tea with lemon that Hebrews and James drinks. It's harder than wild wine. I can't remember that. Right. That just overwhelms me. Does it really? Yeah. I just, yeah. You stop at chips. Chips, yeah. Chips. Chips. (laughs) (laughs) Three glasses of tea with lemon, then he brews and James drinks. There you go. How hard can that be? You've got Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, lemon. And Hebrews and James Strings. There you go. (laughs) Come on, you can do it. Okay. Use the tabs. Use the tabs. There you go. Need to get the tabs. Need to get the tabs. Okay. Chapter 21. I mean, verse 21, chapter 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See you how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Now that word works means corresponding actions. It doesn't mean out doing good things. But he so believed God that he acted accordingly, according to what God said. He didn't mind putting Isaac on the altar because he knew that God was going to have to raise him from the dead. Because Isaac was his only way to get to be father of a nation. Okay. Verse 23. The scripture was fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. Not just a servant, not just a pal. And I think as Christians we look at ourselves as servants but we're not. We're not. And I'll show it to you in a minute. Um, The King James, the old King James, Yes. I mean, it's uh, yes. Big. It's very big. Um, if you go back to Genesis 17, and then I'm going to take you to Revelations. I'll show it to you. I think it's Genesis 17. Hold on. Yeah. No. Genesis 18. This is when he and God have this friendship meal together. Long before Isaac is born. Long before Isaac is conceived and long before Isaac is ever put on the altar. But this is when God comes to the place that he can trust Abraham with anything. He shows up at Abraham's tent on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's been through enough things with Abraham that he knows he can trust him. But now it becomes more intimate, more personal than that. 
Um, so verse 1 in chapter 18 says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. Okay? So the Lord himself appeared to um, Abraham. And Abraham made a meal. And they sat down and they ate this meal together. And after the meal, God says, This time next year, Sarah's going to have a baby. You remember Sarah laughed. And God says, huh, is anything too hard for God, right? So now he's about to go on to Sodom and Gomorrah, but the Lord has this conversation within himself now. We've had this friendship meal. I know Abraham. I can trust him. I know who he is. I can't do this and not tell him about it. So look at verse 17, because the relationship has changed here. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham this thing which I do, seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. In other words, he knew he could trust Abraham even to put Isaac on the altar. He knew that was coming. And now there's a covenant meal between them. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So even then, he was so close to Abraham, he said, I can't even do this without telling Abraham. So there was an intimacy that happened at that meal that brought God and Abraham out of a servant-lord uh, relationship into an intimate friendship relationship. Okay? Now, go to John chapter 15. <clears throat> this is the Last Supper. They've had a meal together. They, they have broken bread and drunk the wine. He's taught them things. He still has more to teach them, but he's about done. And at the end of that meal, things change. Things change. So is this another friendship covenant meal? Yes, it is. And I'm going to show it to you right now. Yes, it is. Look at verse 12 in chapter 15. He's right at the end of speaking to them now. Just before he prays for them. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay, a man lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you henceforth I'll call you not servants for the servant knows not what his Lord does see Abraham as a servant couldn't know what God did but Abraham as a friend knows what God's gonna do and here Jesus says after the meal I've called you servants in the past but now I call you friends a servant doesn't know what the Lord's about to do, but I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. He says, Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go forth and bring forth fruit that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, 
he may give it to you. Um, now, go back to Revelations chapter 3. <clears throat> of all the things that he could have said to the bride, to the church, to the lukewarm church, to the church that he wants to be intimate with, this is what he says. Look at verse 20. Um, chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He says, I will come in and enter into a meal covenant with you. That intimate, personal, close friendship where I no longer call you servant, but I call you my friend. Isn't that awesome? So this meal covenant is very powerful. And um, like I've said before, that's why people in the, in the West don't understand. We go, why don't these Muslims give each other up? Why don't they turn each other in? Well, if their families have had covenant meals together, they can't do that. You know, they're, they're in a covenant there. Um, they can hardly do that. Some do, but not very many. Because they're honoring ancient customs of these friendship meals that tie these families together in inextricable ways. And the meal is the symbol of the covenant, like the blood. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right, the seal of it. And even at the end of the blood covenant, the last thing that happens is there is a family meal where all the family sits down together and breaks the bread and drinks the wine. So even without the blood sacrifice, this is the next most powerful covenant. Well, in the marriage covenant, that's it right. ends in a meal. Too. It does. Ends in a meal. It way back then. A big that's meal. right. Nobody understands that, but they do. And the first meal served is uh, the bride and the groom. And that's the thing that, you know, most don't understand. Um, the cutting of the cake is a very important part of the wedding ceremony. Because that's the breaking of the bread. This is my body, you know, and I'm going to live my whole life for you. I will pour it out for you. And this is my blood. I will die before I break this covenant with you. This is an eternal covenant we're making. And now they've gotten to where, you know, they push the cake in each other's face and it's a joke. It's a joke now. But it's a deadly serious part of covenant. So, Irvin, you can tell this. I already story. told her there ain't no smashing no cake. There you go. No. Is this is a covenant of It is a covenant. Bonding. It is. It's the covenant meal. And then the family shares. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I'm already well aware there's, I've already told her about There you that. go. Good, good. Yeah. yeah, because it's deadly serious. Um, this, this covenant meal is a very serious matter. And, um... So, if you know, even Jesus says, that's the relationship I want to have with you. I want to sit down and eat with you, you know, drink with you. That's the covenant relationship that he wants to have. And um, so the, the blood sacrifice has already been made in our case. 
but that's what he wants for us is to have that intimate relationship like Abraham and God have, you know. And so these are the requirements of that friendship covenant. First, there has to be agreement, complete agreement and obedience to whatever is outlined in that covenant in, on both sides. Second, there has to be loyalty and dependability. You have to be loyal to that covenant and you have to be able to put your full weight independent on that other person. You know. And then you have to be able to trust enough to confide in. Just like Jesus did with Abraham. He said, I can trust this man, so I'm going to tell him what I'm about to do. There has to be an openness and, a, and an ability to share. So those are the things that make a meal covenant. So when you see those now and the red flags, the red flags should go up. Very important covenant. Very important. Um, so now back to Genesis and we'll finish this up on the covenant and then move on. He goes out of the frying pan into the fire, but Jacob is reaping what he sowed along the way. It's just the way Jacob is. The world would say karma, but Jesus says, you sow what you reap, you know. Mm -hmm. So with all his playing around, he got exactly what he deserved with Laban. You know, being a sneaky, tricky guy himself. Laban, you know, came back on him. Now he's going to have to deal with Esau in a minute. But let's finish up this covenant. Because these are the promises that are made here. First of all, God will watch over both families when they're apart. Second, that Jacob would never afflict his daughters or take other wives. And third, that neither man would pass that pillar uh, traveling to see each other with an intent to harm each other. Nobody could pass <laughs> that pillar with intent to harm. Okay? So that's it. All right, pick up with uh, verse 50. And this is Laban speaking. If you shall afflict my daughters, or if you shall take other wives besides my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness between me and you. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold this pillar which I have cast between me and you. This heap be a witness, and this pillar be a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and that you will not pass over this heap um, and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, interesting, they talk about Nahor, his dad. The God of our father judge between us. And Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mountain. Now that does not mean he offered a sacrificial meal on that mountain. It means he offered a, an animal that was killed to be eaten, in other words. This is not the word sacrifice for um, like a sacrificial animal. This is a different word, a different verb, okay? And he called his brethren to eat the bread. So what he's saying is, is up on that mountain, he, he killed an animal and then invited everybody in to sit down and have dinner, okay? And they did eat bread and they tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning Laban rose up and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. We don't hear from Laban anymore. We're pretty much done with Laban. Um, but that's the end of it. The covenant is set. 
So it wasn't a blood covenant. That word sacrifice, is a, it's a bad choice of words. <clears throat> but literally, he killed the fatted calf, and they sat down together and broke bread. So they had a serious meal together. So now he's free from the enslavement to the world, because that's what Laban was, is the type of the world. He's doing now, for a little while, he is doing what he promised God he was going to do. He's going to return home to Isaac, to Beersheba. Um, <clears throat> so for a little bit, he's on the right trail. <laughs> but as soon as he gets on that trail, then he has to face Esau. <clears throat> and he does it with great fear and trepidation. And God actually tries to comfort him and it, it doesn't comfort him because he's so full of fear about this. He still doesn't get what God is trying to say here to him. He does not understand that those 12 sons, those 11 sons of his, are going to become the seed of a great nation. He still doesn't get that. Okay? He doesn't see what God has promised through Abraham. Whether Abraham told him that, I don't know. Whatever it is, Jacob doesn't see that. Okay? He knows that God promised to keep him safe as long as he was gone until he returns to Beersheba where Isaac is. But he, I don't think he ever fully gets what God is doing here. Um, I don't know if he ever does. But um, look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 32. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of this place Mahanaim. Um, so he saw the angels. God allowed him to see into the spirit realm to see that there was that host of angels, the same ones that he saw going out, still with him coming back. And it didn't help him. But this is what Jacob does, verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak to my lord Esau. And I want you to notice that he has at least realized that he's been humbled. To the point that he calls Esau his lord. Lord meaning chief or ruler over. In other words, he has recognized Esau's place. His rightful place. Your servant Jacob says thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in your sight. So he says, I, I recognize you as my Lord. I don't need your birthright. I don't need anything that's yours because I have my own now. I have my own family. I've got asses and oxen and all that kind of stuff. And I recognize you as the rightful senior brother in this relationship. And that was a very nice message, don't you think? <laughs> but the message that comes back, you know, you hear what you want to hear, right? And, and Jacob heard what he wanted to hear here, or what he thought he should hear. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, he, We came to your brother Esau, 
And also, he comes to meet you and 400 men with him. <laughs> so he's going, 400 men coming after me? Oh, my gosh. Fear and panic. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Seeing those angels didn't help him a bit. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands and said, if Esau comes to the one company and smites it, then the other company is left to escape. Okay, plan A and plan B. And Jacob said, oh, this is, and I'll tell you what, this is one of the best prayers ever because he is praying right on. He is praying exactly the way you and I ought to be praying. Although his prayers in fear, we need to be praying in faith. But he goes before God and he lays out the covenant promises to God. He is doing what, what God says to do in Isaiah. He said, bring your case before me. And that's exactly what is going on here. Remind me before I leave here to tell you about this coming Friday, speaking of prayer. Okay. Somebody do that. Jacob said, oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Who's he calling on? He's calling on the covenant God now. Not just, oh my God. He's saying, because you're in covenant with Abraham and Isaac, listen to me, I'm, in, I'm their descendant. The Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have showed me, showed unto your servant. For with my stuff I pass over this Jordan and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray you, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And you said, I will surely do you good and make your seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So he reminded God, he said, so come and deliver me because you said out of your mouth that you're going to make a multitude here out of my, out of my seed. So he, he goes before God. Now in fear, we need to go in faith. But he went and he said, this is the case. You are the covenant God of my father and, and of my grandfather. And therefore, my covenant as well. Because, you know, it always goes down the line. And so you promised me that you would keep me until I could return to my father's house. And then he goes on to say, so deliver me from Esau. This is what I need from you. Deliver me from Esau and protect my family. Because you have promised, and then he lays it out. You promised that this would be like the sand, you know, grains of sand, whatever. That is a great prayer. And when you and I pray, that's the way we need to do it. We need to go before the Lord with that kind of prayer. You know, Father, we're in covenant with you. Thank you for Jesus' blood. We put the blood on whatever our circumstance is. Your word says, Lord... That this, 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 and this is what you will do. So I'm asking that in this case, you do this, this, and this for me. You know, then you can lock down on that and take it by faith because God says every promise in this book is a yes. And that's the way we ought to be praying every prayer. Except he was screaming in fear. <laughs> but God's still faithful here. Okay. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand... A present for Esau, his brother. Now look, this is how wealthy um, um, Jacob is. 200 goats, 20 he goats, 
200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 kine, 10 bulls, and 20 she-asses and 10 foals. That's what he sent his brother for a gift. So you can imagine how much he has if he sent that much to his brother. Oh my gosh. And he delivered them into the hands of his servants and every drove by themselves and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, put a space between your droves and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, saying, Whose are you? Um, and where do you go? And whose are these before you? Then you will say, They be your servant Jacob's, and it is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall you speak to Esau when you find him. And say you moreover, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterwards I will see his face, and peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him. And himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent them over that he had. Now the Jabbok is a um, tributary that runs east off of the Jordan River. And it's about halfway down from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, about halfway down the Jordan River, going east is this Jabbok River. So he leaves Gilead and he's moving south and he crosses the Jabbok River. So he's moving down toward um, um, where uh, Sair is, down south of the Dead Sea. Okay, he's getting closer. Um, he doesn't go much further than the Jabbok. He crosses over the Jabbok, and then he goes back the other way. But eventually, right there at the Jabbok River, he's going to go east and cross over the Jordan into what you and I would be known as, as Jericho, okay, in that area. Eventually, he's going to go there. Um, or um, the little woman at the well who was, um, now it just went right out of my mind. What's the name of the little town where the little woman at the well was? Right there in the middle of, of Israel. I'll think of it in a minute. It'll pop back in. Got too many names going right now. But um, um, anyway, he's, he's going to hover in that area, just right about the middle of the Jordan River on either side of it. Now, he's not going anywhere for a long time. But um, he's still on the east side, and he's moving slowly toward his brother. Um, and he sends everybody ahead of him, and Jacob spends this one night alone. And I find this really interesting, because Jacob, from the moment he was conceived, was a wrestler. He, he wrestled in Rachel's stomach for nine solid months with Esau. You know, she kept saying, what is going on with me? She couldn't figure out what was happening. The wrestling match started from the time they were conceived. 
even when they were born, he was still trying to grab the foot of Esau and wrestle the birthright out of him right there on the spot. He has been wheedling and wrestling with the world all his life. It's just what he understands. So isn't it interesting that the Lord meets him here? And what does he do? He wrestles with him. Because Jacob understands wrestling. And if anybody that understands wrestling also knows that one of the key parts to wrestling is to control your hips. Right? Hips is everything. And so watch what happens with Jacob in this wrestling match. So in the night, Jacob is left alone here. And this interesting encounter comes about. And, um, so let me just kind of get to where I am here. I'm a little ahead of myself. Okay. Um, okay, let's look at this wrestling match. Um, start with verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And the word man there is Adam, which is uh, like a flesh and blood man, okay? Jesus, the covenant um, part of the living God, is standing there on the shore to wrestle with him. The reason we know it is Jesus is because only Jesus can make the promises that he makes. An angel has no authority to do what Jesus is about to do. Okay? So, um, this is the same Lord, the same part of God that, that sat down and had the covenant meal with Abraham all those years ago. Okay? This is the flesh arm of the living God. Okay. So, he laid hold of Jacob and they wrestled. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, because Jacob was a fierce wrestler, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He took hip control away from Jacob. He could no longer wrestle. He no longer had any power. If you lose control over your hips, you lose all power and control in a wrestling match. And Jacob had learned to keep his balance really well. He knew how to use that. And, and God brought Jacob to the point where Jacob was hanging on God for support. Jacob was done wrestling here. Okay. The greater had vanquished the foe. But Jacob, even in that refused to let go of his wrestler, of the wrestler, until the wrestler blessed him. He refused to let go. There's a, there's a good lesson in that for even us. So who was saying in 26, and he said, let me go for the day breaks? That's the Lord speaking. That's the Lord. Yes. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Okay. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go except you bless me. No angel has the power to bless. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. 
for a prince have you power with God and with men and have prevailed. There's a prophecy in that. Um, a lot of the Christian authors write Jacob's name was changed to Israel because um, his nature changed. No, Jacob's nature never changed. Okay, and it never changed. You'll see that. But the reason he declares, I am calling you Israel, is because there is prophecy in what, what that name means, okay? Wrestle with God and prevailed, or ruler over men. Jesus is in Jacob's loins as Jacob is hanging on the neck of the Lord, okay? The seed of Israel is there. The seed that wrestles with mankind and prevails and rules with God is in his loins. He is speaking prophetically about what's to come with Israel. And what you're going to find is, is when now from here on, Jacob, when we're just talking about the man Jacob and his life, it's always going to be Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. But when it's speaking prophetically or has something to do with the sons and the coming nation, it'll be Israel. But only Israel when it has something to do with the future. That's a key for you when you're reading um, about Jacob and Israel. Even in the prophets, you know, he spoke of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But before that, in the very same verse, he says, You, Israel, speaking of the nation, you know, are of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob and Israel were mentioned in the same verse there. But Abraham I call, you're the seed of Abraham that I call a friend, okay? It, Israel always has to do with the nation in some sense or prophecy, future. Where Jacob is always just about the human man and what goes on. So you need to pay attention to that um, division from here. The, he, he wasn't really named Israel, but he says, I declare you are Israel, speaking of that which is to come, okay? Um, and Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray you, your name. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Now, some people say Jacob never recovered from that, you know, that he was always crippled. But you don't find that any, anywhere else in Scripture. Um, somehow he managed to walk on his own to get across the river, Somehow he managed to walk on his own to travel the rest of the way. So there's a toss-up between was he healed, you know, and walked on in strength? Or was he always crippled, which doesn't make much sense because of what comes with Jacob in the future? Um, did he hobble? We don't know because nothing ever else is mentioned. Yeah. Just but, this one incident. But the Jewish people, I've never yes. heard this before. In a piece of meat, they don't eat that area. That so there sinew. had to be 
Maybe mm -hmm. it was just that they wrestled. Maybe that was Maybe it. that was it. Or maybe he yeah. did limp or something. We don't know. Isn't that something? We have no knowledge of that. And a lot of people try to portray him as being, you know, weak and crippled the rest of his life. But there is no indication that that's the case. Because he did get up and walk across yeah. the Javok River again. And, and you know, and travel with his family. And uh, there was nobody there to take him to see his brother. He was alone. So he couldn't have been, you know, completely crippled. Um, it, it couldn't have happened that way. It, he had to get strength in his legs to, to walk because there was nobody there to carry him. He was all by himself. Otherwise, he would have laid there in the desert and died, you know, because who would have helped him walk? So we don't know. I mean, there's a big uh, argument about that. That's one of those questions we can ask the world when we get there, or Jacob, either one. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just one of those interesting things. So we'll stop right there and then pick up next week where Jacob and Esau finally get together. Um, so I think I'm just going to read some of this to you next week. What is this? is the sixth? Seventh. Seventh. Oh. That's right. Okay, guys, let me say this to you. I got a call, um, several texts from Jeff um, this this weekend. He's been at the conference out in Hershey, you know, our big conference conference. And things are not looking good. They're just not looking good. But he said this is what it was agreed to do, that every uh, community would have a prayer time to pray about what's happening in the Methodist Church. And um, our time is Friday night from 5 to 6. So he called and said, whatever, whatever you want to do, just whatever. So this is what we're going to do. Um, the church is going to be open on Friday from 5 to 6. And I'm just going to have a little prayer guy with some scripture on it. You can come and pray a minute, um, you know, or stay the hour if you want, whatever. But just come and pray about what's going on and what we need to do as a church and where we are. Um, I can tell you that six more churches in uh, Alabama have already pulled out of the Methodist Church. Um, two huge churches in Mississippi have pulled out. Several in Georgia, big churches, have pulled out. So, um, it's coming our way, you know, pulling out of Methodism. So. And the issue? Yeah, primi right primarily. now, primarily, it has to do with homosexual issues. Um, but this is, you know, Bill was asking, are you going to just mention all that? And I'm going, no, because when you pray, we're not praying about people. We're praying about demonic spirits. And what we want to do is pray down the strongholds. And there are strongholds that um, are at work. First is rebellion. Rebellion against the Word of God. That's the big one. You know, rebellion and strife. And um, uh, then you've got pride of life, lust of the eyes, and lust of the flesh. Those strongholds are things that we have to pray down. Um, because those are the things um, that are at the root of everything. Um, the spirit of Jezebel is a part of this. Now, Jezebel is not just, you know, she wasn't just a sexual being. She, that, that demon is basically known for being intimidating and uh, uh, 
bullying and um, uh, fighting for their own good, you know, selfish and arrogant and bullying and um, intimidating and murderous in a lot of ways. Um, that spirit is a very, it's a very wicked demonic spirit. And those are the things that we're going to be dealing with, not dealing with people here. But can't, but can't that spirit also play the victim? And that's where the churches are circling the joy because they're, you know, it's, they're, it's almost like they're trying to normalize and create empathy for people. You know, why are you, you know, it's all right. the names like phobia and that kind that's of thing. It. Yeah. Because it almost seems like the church. Well, and that's intimidating. You know, you use the word phobia. No, it is. It's and it is. And it's an intimi intimidating, bullying kind of a spirit that accuses and, you know, yeah. And, um, yeah, it, those are the things that are driving people. You know, those are the things that are driving people. Delusion and um, all kinds of things. But when we pray, we're not praying about people. We don't wrestle with people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And um, so that's the way we're going to pray. But you're welcome to come from 5 to 6, get a prayer card, stay a little while, then go. It's not going to be structured in any way, shape, or form. But pass it on to anybody else you see. Um, that we're going to be open. I'll I'll send emails around and I'll post it on Facebook and what have you. Okay to open yeah. Facebook oh yeah. Invite any Methodists, United Methodists who want to pray about, you know, the church itself in in our community. Um, that will be open from five to six. So that's you know that's just basically it. But you know, whether you can do anything with pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, which is everything in the world, invading the church, whether you can, you know, do anything about that spirit of rebellion and strife and um, other things, we, you know, that's only, only God can do that. So Amen. Your prayer card, I mean, I know it'll be available here, but if people have plans and can't be here, do you, can that prayer card card go out in your email or yeah 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 I'll try to I'll try to forward it to everybody yeah but um, if you can come Friday night fine if you can't that's fine too Friday night's a tough time but Jeff said we didn't get a choice in our time well you can we pray anywhere though yeah, I mean they you can, can pray anywhere you so absolutely if they can't can. make it right you absolutely no, we can. can stand united so maybe we can post it on the the newsletter maybe nice if they send so, out a blurb mm-hmm with the, on the newsletter for everybody to be praying. So anyway, yep, that's what we're going to be doing. So anyway, we just, we need to do it. This is our last ditch stand. We're just, we're running out of time and options. When's general conference? Uh, is it this year? No, but they're going to have an, they're going to have an emergency meeting this year. So, you know, and, and the thing about the emergency meeting is the African conferences won't be there. So just pray about it. You know, this is, you know, they won't be there. So, and they're the ones that have stood with us. And, and um, so, yeah, things are looking a little bleak right now. So the emergency room meeting has to have some, maybe has something to do with all these churches that are pulling out. Yes, it does. It has everything to do with those churches. And, and we're going to have a vote on it, like an up or down vote. But the, but the African conferences, uh, you know, and the South American conferences won't, won't be there with us so we we have to pray that you know we're strong enough to stand against it so we'll see we'll see what happens but and that's why we need lots of prayer and i know we have so. to leave but did anybody follow the national day of prayer um 
the way that President Trump. It was great. It was. It was good. It's really good. And, you know, when you realize every day that, that his cabinet and his White House staff meet and pray, they have a Bible study at least once a week, that the staff, and you know, right there in the White House, they're praying and feeding on the word. And, you know, I'm going, wow, this is good. This is good. It's no wonder the enemy is screaming so like he is. Yeah. Opposition. Yep. That's it. So, but yeah, but we just so have much. to stand with them and stand in agreement and keep them covered. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> praise God. They started already protecting churches again and, and uh, getting us free again to, you know, to exercise our First Amendment rights. So praise God for that. So let's just pray here a minute. Father, we just, we just thank you so much for for um, everything you've done in our lives. And we do pray that you prevail, that your will prevails in our church, in the United Methodist Church, that your word stands firm and that um, uh, that you ordain what we need to be doing, Lord. Slam the door on everything evil and wicked, Lord, and open the door to everything good and right. Lord, restore us to that um, Wesley fervor and that Wesley spirit, Lord. Um, that believes your word is inerrant and infallible. And, um, Father, just put a fire in the belly of the church and um, wake us up. Uh, we've been asleep for too long, Father. And So I just ask that what the enemy would mean for evil, you would cause to work to good in all things. And, um, Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory for it. Thank you, Father. Amen. You know, when you were talking about...